All right. Hey, once you've met someone, you can go ahead and take a seat, but only when you met someone. Hi, good morning, everyone. Welcome. So glad you guys are here. Welcome to the exchange. Uh, do me a favor. If you have a Bible, turn to 1 Peter 5. Uh, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We would love to get you a Bible so you can follow along with us. Uh, so don't be shy. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'd love to get you one just so you can follow along with us where we're at today. But 1 Peter 5, 1 Timothy 3, and Titus 1. All right, a lot of scripture reading today. Let me actually share with you guys um, really quick what's going on. So we're finishing up a little series we're doing on the church. Uh, next week, we are starting something new. And I'm really excited about this. So here in 2019, we start off the year by going through Philippians and Nehemiah. For us, we viewed 2019 just kind of as the idea of the year to build, to build into our faith, to build in the church, to build the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. That's kind of been our hopes. That's why we went through Philippians. That's why we went through Nehemiah. We think it kind of filled that pretty well. My hope is to close out this year by doing a little thing on spiritual formation, and you might be like, what is that? Um, essentially, we want to kind of go through some spiritual disciplines. Um, I think for us as a church, this is so key. I, I really do believe that this will be a life-changing and, and, and church-shaping series, in a sense. Um, God has given us certain practices for the last couple thousand years to, as we follow Jesus, praying, fasting, silence, solitude, how to read the word. And I'm really excited just to kind of slow down and look at this because we want to build our faith. Uh, we want to have, I guess, more of a better rhythm to just have how we do this. Um, it's easy to kind of get out of rhythm in our Christian life. So we're doing something called spiritual formation, and I'm very excited to go through this with you guys in case you're, again, what does that mean? So um, we actually have some books in the back on spiritual disciplines that I'll be using for this series. If you want to read kind of with me or pick up one of those books, you can grab one, uh, but we'd love to just kind of go through that with you guys. So that is happening next week. Uh, here's what's going on today. Today we are finishing up a series we've called Church Life. Um, the last four weeks, this is our fourth week, we just want to talk about what is the church? Why did God make the church? Why do we exist? What's the point of this? What's the point of gathering together? Uh, what is the body of Christ? What does that mean? What does it mean to follow Jesus? How do we actively follow Jesus together in community? And I hope that this has brought some clarity that all of us here have a role in the church. Everyone sitting here has a role. God is, if you believe in Jesus Christ, that Bible says you've been born again. Once you've been born again, the Holy Spirit has given you new gifts. And we kind of talk through some of those and you have a gift to offer to help build up the body of Christ. We walk through that. Last week, we did a little teaching on just deacons. It wasn't maybe little, but a little teaching on deacons and what is a deacon? What is this role? What does that mean? And uh, we kind of just did like, I think hopefully just a clear overview of what it looks like. A deacon is not someone who's just served a long time in the church. It's like, hey, you've served a long time, therefore you're a deacon but it's dedicated to the brokenness in a community. As we looked at, there's some unjust racial things happening in the church in Acts 6. There's some prejudiced things happening. And they said, this is not good. We need people to help meet those needs. And so we want to see faithfulness and consistency, yes, but people are dedicated to that brokenness, to mercy ministry. And so we kind of did that. If you want to go back and listen, you can. Uh, but here's my hope for this series, to see that all of us here are one, a community following Jesus that we want to follow Jesus together. We want to seek Jesus together. We want to do this together. 
in every way possible, and that we all have a role here, and that within that, also, God has raised up different leaders, servant leaders, and leading servants, like we talked about last, last week, and today, we are going to look at and talk about the doctrine of elders, and I know these titles are not very exciting, but it's exciting to me. Um, for us, we want to look at this, what is an elder? What is a pastor? What is, what is that word elder? Why do we say elder? Uh, what does that mean? What does that look like? Why did God create this? Um, how do we see this expressed and lived out in the early church? Maybe we've had an idea of what it looks like to be a leader. Maybe you've been hurt by just former leadership. Maybe you've seen the abuse of leadership in the church. Maybe you've seen them kind of forget what it means to be a shepherd or to be a, just a, a, a servant leader. And so we want to kind of just talk about this, that God would just bring clarity to this. That our hope is, one, you know what to look for, that two, we will be that, and that everyone here will kind of carry that, that heart of a shepherd in any capacity in your home, in your workplace, with your kids, just that you'd have that heart of Jesus for people. And so there's a big picture and there's a small picture with this, and we hope that this can kind of be carried out in our day-to-day life as well, and that we'd actually be the church that Jesus intended us to be. We're going to fall short, we're going to fail, just like the early church. We're going to mess up, we're going to blow it, we're going to be far from perfect, but our desire is to follow the design for the church that God created. Amen? So this might be a little bit more teaching than preaching today, because uh, we're going to look at some text, some heavy text, some good scripture, and I'm very excited about this. So we actually don't have one specific text. We're going to be walking through a few different ones, uh, but let's just pray, ask God to bless this time, and then we'll look at this more in depth. All right, let's pray. Father, I just, um, I ask that you would bring clarity today, that you would speak, that you would move, that Jesus, even for us, as we are desiring to raise up um, just servants, just servant leaders, as we are desiring to raise up just people who want to serve you and your body, the community, that goes, that those who just feel that sense of call to shepherd others, God, we pray that you'd raise up more. Raise up more leaders, God. We thank you for today, for even just the commissioning for us of our first elder. And God, that we ask that you bless this time, bring clarity on it, and that we would just love you in the process. In your name, Jesus. Amen. You know, you'll probably never find a sports team that has the name the Sheep, right? You're not going to say the Denver Sheep, the Chicago sheep. You're not going to see that. Um, you might see the Miami sheep because that's pretty consistent this year. Um, <laughs> sorry, I took a little jab. But you'll never see that be used in any, in any kind of form. And there's not like an intimidating animal. They're not an intimidating creature. You know, you're not going to have, you're not going to protect your home and have a guard sheep. Like beware of lamb. That's not going to happen. You're not going to see that. Um, we know that scripturally speaking, the Bible loves to use this analogy of sheep and shepherds. We know that just even in life, it's just so true. The Bible relates us constantly to sheep. And I know there's those little jokes like God relates us to sheep because we're so dumb. Sheep are dumb. And that is true. But what we see really, I think, in that illustration of a sheep and shepherd is the father heart, the shepherd heart of God for his people. That I am the good, that God, Jesus, is a good shepherd who would lay down his life for the sheep. That all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. That all of us have turned to our own way. That the Lord is our shepherd, we shall not lack. There's this constant idea of God just being a faithful, good shepherd and we being sheep. And there's so many ways we could approach this and talk about this. But here's what I love. Jesus does describe a leader in the church in John 10 as a shepherd. Peter and Paul love to describe leaders as shepherds. 
So we're going to talk about that. What does that mean? What does that look like? And here's what I want to just do simply for us today. Because you're going to hear me use some terms like elder, like overseer, like pastor or shepherd. And I want to bring clarity to those. All right. So here's like the three questions we're going to try to answer today and look at really in depth. So hopefully you have a journal, a pen, you can circle things, take notes. Because I want us to get a good biblical understanding of what it means to be an elder or a shepherd, or a pastor, or an overseer. So here's the first question. Uh, what is an elder? Like, what do they do? What are they? What do they do? Similar to last week, how we kind of walk through deacons. Number two is this. What are the qualifications? When God says, okay, if you want to be an elder, this is, what you, this is kind of the test you've got to pass in some ways. And number three, why does this matter? <laughs> I think this is so important always to ask this. Like, why does it matter today, this term? Why do we use this? Why do we have this? So first and foremost, what is an elder? What do they do? All right, if you would, look at 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. Let's just read what Peter says to other elders in the church. All right, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. He writes, the elders who are among you, I exhort. I, who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Jesus, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Few things I want to point out, a few different terms, few different nouns. Paul uses the word elder. He goes, I'm an elder. I'm writing to elders. I'm encouraging elders. He uses the word overseer. If you want to look back and circle overseer, so circle the word elder, circle the word overseer. And he says shepherd. This is the verb form, but we see this used elsewhere in the noun form as a pastor, shepherd, uh, watch over, look after. All right, so th- these are like the three terms used to describe one role. So please don't miss this. Paul does this elsewhere. So Peter does this and Paul does this where he uses shepherd, pastor, Overseer, maybe it's the word bishop, but it's overseer. Uh, And you're going to see elder. All three of these terms are one role. They're used synonymously. They're used to describe one role. It's here in 1 Peter 5. He goes, hey, elders, oversee them well, shepherd well. Paul does this in Acts 20. We'll throw the verse up here for you really quick. But in Acts 20, 17, listen to this. Paul, he sent to Ephesus for the elders. Here's the Greek word, the presbyteros of the church. He asks for the elders. He says, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, episkopos, to shepherd po- poimain, the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Why am I trying to show the Greek words? Not to show off because I don't even know it. It's okay. Here's the idea. This, these terms, presbyteros, episkopos, poimain, these are three nouns that the Bible uses to describe one role, one office. He says the leaders of the church, the pastors, the shepherds are elders, they're pastors, they're overseers, and he calls the elders and he says, take heed how you just look over them as, you're, as you are overseers, as you are the shepherd. And so here's what we see first and foremost. If you are taking notes, uh, we see kind of three words described, like three functions of an elder. So one is an elder, one is a pastor, one's an overseer. So I want to like break this down for you really quickly. We're going to kind of throw up the word and its meaning and like the function really quick. So you'll see hopefully all three are up here. Uh, Presbyteros, episkopos, poimen. Do you see those three things? Because I can't see the TVs. Yeah. All right, cool. Here we go. Uh, Presbyteros is elder. It describes the man. 
It's describing the maturity of the man, uh, one who has maturity, experience, and just history, just time walking with God. They're not a novice. They're not new to the faith. They're just experienced in the faith. That's an elder, and we'll kind of describe that a little bit more as well. Uh, these are just simple definitions. Episcopos is the overseer. This describes really the management. He says not as lording, but as just overseeing, as leading. This might be more the management and the function. This might be stewarding resources. We'll talk about that. And then next you see poimen. You see the pastor shepherd. This describes the ministry. All right, this is shepherding the flock of God. So if you notice here, one's more like here's the man, the maturity that we're looking for. Two is here's like the management. He has leadership skills. And three, you could say this is the heart. This is the ministry. This is what it's going to look like. I think we use the word pastor a lot. Let's just talk practically in like our culture today. I think why, you know, my role would be called a pastor is because that's more, I think, heartfelt, more heartwarming. Sometimes like elder or episcopal, it can kind of almost just be like, is that? It's like, I think this communicates as if we're with each other, we're among you. Not that it's necessarily lording by any means, but it's coming alongside you, as we'll talk about. So I want to break this down even more because this is so important for us. What, is it, what does it mean to be an elder? What does this look like? What do they do? Here we go. First and foremost, elder. Can we read again verse 1? So we're at the first point. We're going to look at an elder. We're going to talk about what that, are, that is, what that are. An elder. All right, here we go. <laughs> uh, it says in verse 1, the elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Really quick. Look how Peter's speaking. Peter goes, I'm talking to the elders. I'm just one of you. I'm a fellow elder. I love this because Peter's not like, hi, I'm the Pope, lead out bishop. Peter is just, in this approach, is just so humble. I think this is brilliant. Sometimes we can kind of put Peter in this category all to himself that he is, I think we, I, we see Peter the way he saw himself. I'm a fellow elder. There's like not this superiority. There's this humility in his approach. There's this realization of Jesus is the chief shepherd. I'm just a fellow elder here. Notice what he says, a fellow elder, and he says, uh, of, just the, of just watching Jesus, of being around this. Now, let me just say this. Uh, this word elder is used the most. Probably why I called this teaching the doctrine of elders is because this word is used the most to describe this role or this office. It's used 72 times in the New Testament. 57 times it's used to just describe the position of a leader in the church. And so here's what this kind of looks like. We'll explain this in a second. But I want us to see something incredibly important. Paul's heart, Peter's heart, the early church's heart was when you plant a church, establish elders there as soon as possible. The heart is you need to have a plurality of leadership leading this church. Try to establish other leaders, raise up and pour into other leaders. It's actually Titus chapter 1 verse 5. Paul says to Titus, listen, for this reason, Titus, I left you in Crete that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. Do you hear that? This is, this is Paul's like admonition to a young pastor. I honestly feel the weight of this. He goes, hey, I left you in this city to raise up other elders, other leaders who can help kind of shepherd that flock, get to work, start trying to invest in men, raising up men to fulfill this role. Next verse is Acts 14, 23. It says this, so when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. When they had appointed elders in every church with whom they prayed and fasting. This is something we've taken to heart in our pursuit of this, that we would raise them up, that we would pray over them, that we'd fast over this decision, the situation, and say, okay, it's time to now lead local churches in local areas. 
that yes, we talked about this two weeks ago, there's the capital C body of Christ, there's the capital C church, that yes, we are all one, and I love that. Like we have so much in common with our brothers and sisters down the road and different expressions of their faith and how they follow Jesus, but we also have local churches in which we carry out and do life together and carry out the gospel together in our area, in our community, and he says raise up elders in this area. So here, here's this idea. I'm trying to get a little bit technical, but just so you know, there's a guy named Alexander Strzok who wrote a great book on what is a biblical elder, and he says this, a church should be ran by, bibli- by a plurality of elders, by multiple leaders. That is the goal. They should, they should seek to raise up other elders to help take the lead. He describes something in Latin. He, he calls it primus inter pares, which just means first among equals, meaning as you raise up other elders, like you have Timothy in the church of Ephesus or Titus in the church of Crete, there might be a specific lead elder, but he's still accountable to the other elders. But if there's a decision or if there's something that needs to be happening, you have a, a clear identified lead. But there's also this equality amongst each other. Here's what Paul is saying. You need to raise up elders. Get to work on this. Now, what is this? Paul's actually, and this is interesting to me, when you look at the New Testament, it pulls out this word elder kind of because Jewish communities used to have elders of cities to help kind of manage uh, certain aspects of the city. They kind of had that wisdom, that experience. Uh, there are those who just walk through life maybe a little bit. Uh, also remember Timothy, who was a pastor in Ephesus, was young, but he was an elder. Paul says, you've been following Jesus since your youth, and don't let anyone despise that. You're a young elder and leader, but don't, def- don't forget, Timothy, the gifts that were given to you by the laying on of hands. And so Paul is kind of affirming his eldership because obviously he had guesses or intimidation in that. Here's why, again, this is important. Peter describes himself as someone who just, I just walked with Jesus. I witnessed the suffering and the resurrection and the glory of Jesus. An elder, you could say essentially, is someone with maturity and experience. What does an elder offer? Maturity and experience, time with Jesus. Consistency in their walk with Jesus. Faithfulness in their walk with Jesus. The idea is they've walked with Jesus through sufferings. They've seen the suffering. They've seen the glory. They can tell you about the highs. They can tell you about the lows. They have wisdom and experience. They're supposed to offer that. Also, elders offer just accountability to each other, to the church, to the body. This term elder is hard to identify sometimes because you look at, it's kind of like this all-encompassing word of just this leader, but it offers accountability and maturity and experience. And let me just be really clear. Elders by no means are perfect. We'll read the qualifications, but they are sinners. I'm a sinner. Elders are sinners. Paul says, Timothy, your progress needs to be a little bit more evident to everyone. Like you need to continue to grow. First Timothy chapter four, verse 15, Paul says, Timothy, meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. You need to continue to grow. The, the idea of elders is we're, we sh- still should be learning and growing. My hope is to always be teachable, to always be in the word, to always be learning and growing because as we learn, as we grow, that will, be, will try to take you along with us in a sense. That's kind of the hope. We should always be teachable. There should be a humility aspect to that. Not that I've arrived, I've made it, that I'm somewhere you're not. It's in a sense like I've just been kind of in the hospital for a while and I can tell you where the bathroom is. I can tell you where the nurses are and you know, we're sick people who need Jesus too and we're, it's just like that's kind of the idea. And so Paul says, I'm writing to you elders. I'm trying to exhort you elders. And here's what he now talks. He says, you're overseers in the church. Let's kind of go to the second thought. It's this word overseer. It's this word episkopos. So maybe you've heard this presbyteros. It's like Presbyterians. They kind of base it off that. Episkopos, episkopos. They kind of base it off some of those things. Here's what episkopos means or overseer means. It simply uh, just means epi means over. uh, Skopos means to see over just to see over, like the day-to-day life, the management, the functions in this way. He actually has a definition next to this in verse 2. want to read verse 2 with me. Uh, he says, not by compulsion, but willingly, as you oversee, 
And this word is used elsewhere, like in 1 Timothy 3. But as you oversee, you need to do it willingly, not by compulsion. You should never have to like twist an elder's arm. Like, can you please pray more with people? Like, can you please love them more? I really, like, there's kind of like this unwillingness. I need you to be more willing to shepherd people. It's like there should be this eagerness, this willingness. I'll step in. I'll do whatever I need at any moment, at any time, willingly. Keep going in verse 2. He talks about uh, not for dishonest gain, again, but eagerly. There's an excitement. I think for us, and even our just leader, anyone who comes here, I think, who serves, sometimes it's daunting to set up and prepare and like lay out. Like, sometimes you go, oh, this is a little much. But for me, I, you can't wait to just be around each other, to talk to each other, to pray with each other, to love each other, to laugh with each other. There's this eagerness. There's a sense of the motivation is not for dishonest gain. It's just for Jesus, the church, that would grow, that people would get saved. It's just, there's a pure humility in that. There's a pure motivation in that. Uh, I love what one author says, he says, an elder must feel a sense of excitement about his specific local church and the ministry philosophy it has adopted. A lack of compatibility will bring tension and division, preventing unity and brotherhood among the elders. There should be an excitement about the vision, the values, where we're going, what we're doing, how we're going to do it. Where I'm in, I'm all in for this. It's eagerly, it's willingly. Keeps going, look at verse 2. He says, not as being lords over those entrusted to you. Uh, this one stuck out to me the most. If you've ever been around leadership where it feels like lording, you kind of know, like, this doesn't, f- does this feel right? Where it almost feels like, like I'm the final, I am almost like they come across as like God in the way they maybe do things, manage, speak. You know, it almost is just overwhelming. Paul describes leadership, I think, the best in 2 Corinthians 1.24. Listen to this verse. Paul says, not that we lord, again, that word lord, not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy for you stand firm in your faith. I love this. He goes, I'm not here to lord over your faith. I'm here to be a fellow worker of your joy. I'm here to help you grow in your walk with the Lord. I'm here to be someone who's constantly pointing you to the gospel, to the good news of Jesus. I'm someone to say, I'm not here to like say yes. I'm here just to say, what would, in this moment, well, how would Jesus respond? How would he react? How would we handle this, this situation? It's not this Lord. It's someone who just loves people. It's not like I'm going to try to lord over you. It's like, let me love and serve you. I'm going to be a fellow worker of your joy. I've literally had conversations with people, and it's very, it's, it does something to my soul where they go, hey, Josiah, you need me. You can't do this without me. Like, you need my gifts, you need my skills. You need what I, and I've literally had those moments where you're like, you're like, this is why you're not a leader. This is why you, you have this lord mentality versus I want to be here a fellow worker. I'm just here. I, I can never be seen. I can never be viewed. I just want to see people grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. I just want to see people grow in their marriages. I want to see people love each other, serve each other. And it's just like this, I'm all in, regardless if you notice me, regardless if it's called out. It's willingly. It's eagerly. It's not here to Lord. It's not have this power trip thing. It's a fellow worker of joy. Guys, I hope that you see that, that my hope is to be a fellow worker of your joy for your salvation. I, I, there's a side of it where like, let's come alongside you. Let's come alongside our leaders who do this for you. Our leaders in groups, our leaders who lead different teams, like we want to be fellow workers of joy. How can we just enjoy Jesus and his presence more? The idea of an overseer or episcopos is also really just a steward. Like it's not ours. This is not ours. I'm a steward of someone else's resources. I'm a steward of God's resources. This is God's church. This is every, we're going to talk about that, but we're here to steward his vision, his desire for the community. We're really stewards of, you could say, once we don't really have, like, we have a truck right now and some stuff that goes in the truck. But, like, if you get, like, resources or a facility or building or meeting place, it's like we want to steward that well. We don't want to, we want to take care of what God has given to us. We don't want to just keep breaking things. We want to be good stewards of what God has given us. It's like overseer of just even those things. 
It could be the management. It could be the function. It could be just people in that way. It could be the vision, the direction. Where are we going? How are we going to do this? Overseers lead the management or organization. And so you see that throughout scriptures as you're an elder, but you're also an overseer. You're a steward of someone else's. Now, here's what I want to focus on. He says, shepherd the flock of God. He says, be examples to the flock. You see, I love this because this is probably the most heartfelt one. It's not just like this cold leadership, distant from the people. Look at at verse 2, would you? Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you. Verse 3 says, being examples to the flock. So the third thing we're going to look at is poimen. It's this word used for pastor or shepherd. Same thing. And he says, do, be a pastor, be a shepherd to people. Now, this is so good. He says, shepherd the flock of God, the flock of God. By the way, first and foremost, this is Jesus' church. This is his. You'll hear people say, like, my church, like, sometimes the way it's used, maybe it's not meant to, but it just comes across as, like, did you forget whose this is? This is the flock of God. This is God's. You know, Acts 20, 28 says it this way. Paul said it this way. He says, shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I want to remind you of who you are and whose I am. I was purchased by the blood of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 6 says, you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are his. You are his. You are God's. God redeemed you and me at a price. You and I, I am also a sheep, a part of the flock. We are God's. This is his flock. This is his sheep. This is his people. This is his bride. Amen? Right? This is the flock of God. But I love how he says, shepherd the flock of God. It's God's among you. Like, be around it. Be in it. Not above it. Not superior to it. But you're going to be, you're going to smell like them. You're going to smell like sheep. Shepherds smell like sheep. Right? We agree. Shepherds around sheep so much, you're like, hey, you definitely are a shepherd. You smell like one. You smell like a sheep. Like, we, we get it. That's it. You're going to be among you. It's going to be among that person. So let's just talk through this role really quick. Here's what shepherds do. And this reminds us of my role. This reminds us of Jesus' role. Most importantly, this will remind you maybe of your role as a parent, as a teacher, as a worker. This will remind, here's some things you should do for people. Ready? Shepherds do this. Shepherds know the sheep, protect the sheep, lead the sheep, feed the sheep. Just a few ideas. There's a lot more. But shepherds know the sheep, they protect the sheep, they lead the sheep, they feed the sheep. First one is this. Shepherds should know the sheep. Proverbs 27, 23 says, be diligent to know the condition of your flock and attend to your herds. There's a responsibility for me that I feel the weight of is to know, to know your people. There's a side of this where he's, I want to know, like, where is our church maybe drifting into legalism, cynicism, negativity that we need to repent of? Where is our church drifting into sin? We're just too loose and careless. We're just, they're kind of like, just so flippant about their walk and their faith in God, and one night they'll be doing this, the next night they'll be raising their hands in church. Like, where do we need to repent of that? There's a side of this where, like, we need to be diligent to know, like, where are we, pr- what are we prone to? Are we prone to legalism? Are we prone to sin? Are we, what are we, are we, pr- are people hurting? Is there brokenness and pain right now in our church that we need to love and support and come around? Like, we need to know the state of That is so important. Like, we need to know each other. You need to know each other. I love how Jesus said it in John chapter 10. He said this, The sheep know his voice, yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus went on to say in John 10, 14, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. So a shepherd says, I know my sheep, they know me, they know my voice. I had some friends go through this, you know, uh, discipleship program, and uh, for part of their program, they actually had to have a sheep. And the goal of this discipleship program was by the end of the week, you had the sheep, you had to call out the sheep, you named the sheep, you literally gave it a name. And then by the end of the week, you'd say the sheep's name, and it's supposed to come to you, and that's how you know you, you passed this challenge, essentially. And so for a week, they would 
be with the sheep, feed the sheep, sleep with the sheep. They would smell like the sheep. And I remember being in this country with, they had this, we're in the Bahamas, and they, this guy goes, hey, let me show you my sheep. And he named it Samson. He's like, yo, Samson, Samson, get over here. There's like a pile of sheep. In the middle of the pile, you hear this like, Barrr! and like it pushes through the sheep and goes to him. And I'm like, that is the coolest thing I've ever seen. That was such a good picture from like, that is the coolest thing. He goes, yeah, like whenever I call it, it's like, it's my boy now. It just comes to me. Just like walked over to him, like pushed through the other sheep. And I go, man, a sheep knows a shepherd's voice. He, he's, he knows it. Oh, that's my shepherd calling me. That's, that's the one who loves me and takes care of me, calling me. Jesus says this, I'm that for you. I know you, you know me. Let's just talk about this practically. Everything I'm, I'm mentioning today is so much less about my role and so much more about Jesus' role. Does Jesus know you? Do you know Jesus? When he calls your name, when you sense him speaking to you at night, during worship, when you're alone driving, do you respond to, to the name that he's calling? Do you respond when he says, hey, you even spend time with me recently. Hey, I miss you. Hey, I love you. Hey, do you see? Like, how do we respond? To he knows us, but he knows us. A good shepherd knows a sheep. There is that weight to know and be known. There's that weight to say, I want to know, and I want others to know, and we want to raise up other elders who can know other groups. Like, we want to know this. There has to be that. And so they know the sheep. Number two is this. They protect the sheep. They protect the sheep. This is pretty obvious, but you guys know this. Like, like sheep are abso- absolutely just... I don't know, docile creature. They, they, they're just, they, they can be just attacked and have unknowingly be, they're being attacked. <laughs> it's bizarre. Like they can be literally attacked, like someone next to be attacked and not know what's really happening. Uh, here's a verse. I love this. It's Acts, tw- uh, Acts chapter 20, verse 29. Paul says, I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Paul, if you remember in Acts 20, is speaking to the Ephesian elders, and he's going, I'm going to leave you guys. And he says, he's weeping, he's crying, there's tears. And he goes, as soon as I leave, I know there's going to be savage wolves that come in among you, and they're, they're going to do harm to the flock. You guys, that was Ephesus. That was the church that Jesus spoke to in Revelation and said, hey, Ephesus, you've left your first love. This is Paul weeping and saying, guys, I'm concerned that as soon as I leave, there's going to be other people come in. Hey, shepherd, he's speaking to the elders. Elders, you need a shepherd. Them. You need to protect them from this. You need to protect them from bad doctrine, from bad people. You need to protect the sheep. This is so important. I think you guys know this, but Satan obviously hates the church. He hates the church. He hates what it stands for. He hates what we're about, bringing people who are far from God, close to God, bringing people out of light, uh, darkness into light. Like he wants nothing, he wants nothing more than to see this, the church fail. But here's the thing. He knows he lost the war. He knows it. He knows that ultimately the, Lord, the war is lost. Jesus has won, but he's trying to win those little battles, I think, within little communities. And I think he would love to cause schism in the church, issues, drama. He'd love to put us at the odds with each other. And he says, watch out. There's going to be people who try to come in, protect these sheep, pray. Guys, we need to pray for each other. I need to be praying for you. I feel like this week I felt more the weight of just praying for people by name, just going, okay, Lord, you know what's going on more than I do. There needs to be this sense of just, we are, we are very aware of the fact that we are under attack as a church. We're very aware of the fact that Satan would love to see this fail. We need to be aware of that. We need to fight and protect the sheep in that way. And not even just from savage wolves, but actually Paul went on to say in Acts 20, 30, listen to this. He says, also from among yourselves, men will rise up. Speaking perverse things, just mean just broken things. To draw away the disciples after themselves, therefore, he says, watch. He goes, just even from among yourselves. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, the most dangerous person of all is the one who does not emphasize the right things. I think that is so true in the church. 
the most dangerous person of all is just one who does not emphasize the right. We're getting sidetracked by secondary topics and issues. We want to talk about all these, and we're missing the point of the kingdom of God. We're missing the point that there's broken people who need Jesus because we're arguing about some stupid little theological topic that we could just move on from. We need to, yes, we need to address it. Yes, we need to talk through it. But it's like, we're missing the point. I hate watching like Christian sword fight with the Bible while we're missing the point of like, but are you evangelizing? Are you loving? Are you serving? Are you giving? Like, are you actually advancing the kingdom? Keep having your little sword fight over here. But you're going to miss out on what God's calling us to do. And we're trying to move and, and advance. And he goes, shepherd, protect them even from among each other. You know, I think part of protecting is pursuing those who went astray. There are people that come to mind so often. I've had people come to mind from middle school for some reason, right? I just pray for them. God, I have no idea where they are. I have no idea why they're in my mind right now. Please reach them. But there's a side of it where we should be pursuing each other. Hey, where's this person? But I'm not trying to check in on them because I'm like, but I love them. I care for them. I want to see how they're doing, what's going on in their life. It's that shepherd who leaves the 99 and pursues the one. There's that side of this. Jesus said this, or God said this in Ezekiel 34. Listen to what God says. Ezekiel 34, verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, listen, indeed I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock on the day he's among his scattered sheep, so will I seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they were scattered on a cloudy and dark day. I just think this principle of God saying, I'm going to seek my own, I'm going to seek my sheep out. This principle of God saying, you're going you're gonna to wander and I'm going to pursue. It's this awesome love language we play with God sometimes. We wander and God's like, and I pursue. I love you. You're my own. I'm going to pursue you in this. Shepherds protect. Pursue. And next he says this, shepherds will lead sheep. Look at verse three. Shepherds lead sheep. He says, be examples to the flock. You guys know this, but sheep are never driven, right? There's never anyone like, yeah, like that does not happen. Cattle is driven. You drive cattle. You don't drive sheep. Sheep are led. The way you lead sheep is you lead them. You go before them. You don't drive them. You don't whip them into shape. It's like, I'm going to be an example to the flock. And this is so key as a good shepherd. It's just like, let me, as Paul has constantly said this, just go follow me as I follow Christ. <laughs> I'm, doing my, I'm following Jesus. Will you follow Jesus with me? Will you come with me in this process? He says, be an example to the flock. Derek Tidbull uh, said this about shepherds. He said, skillful shepherds will lead the sheep they will not be content for the flock to remain as they are, nor even to manage them uh, more efficiently. They will seek the growth of the flock numerically. They will also seek their progress individually and corporately towards maturity. You're going you're to seek there to be healthy sheep that just reproduce healthy sheep. And this is the hope is that we, le- we are example. Shepherds are example. Come on, I'm not going to drive. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go. I'm going to lead. I'm a shepherd and let's go. Number four is this, uh, shepherds feed sheep. And this, I think, is the most important because this is just emphasized the most in the New Testament. But do you remember when Jesus and Peter are having breakfast by the sea in John 21? They're having breakfast. They're sitting there by the sea. Peter feels, Jesus just rose again from the grave. Peter saw Jesus at a different point in time. But there's still kind of this like unsettled business between Peter and Jesus because Peter denied Jesus three times. And he still has this guilt kind of hanging over him. And Peter's like, come on, Peter, get out of the boat. Like, I made you breakfast. Get off. And Peter swims over. And there's this phenomenal dialogue between Jesus and Peter in John 21. And just listen to this. We'll throw it up here. It says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And the question is, maybe he's pointing to the disciples. Maybe he's pointing to fishing. Maybe, we don't know. Do you love me more than whatever you love most? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Obviously, when you read this, and this is so key in the Greek, Jesus says, Peter, do you agape me? And he goes, yes, Lord, you know I phileo you. I love you like a brother. It's like, honey, my wife, do, do you love me? She's like, yeah, you know I like you. 
I'm like, oh, dang. It's usually like the opposite. Yeah, I love you. I don't so like you, right? No, but that's the idea. It's like, how did there be this, like, un- this unequal thing happening, this transaction between them? This is not good. Next, it says, uh, Jesus said to him, feed my, so he says to them, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Again, it's phileo. He said to him, tend my sheep. Jesus said to him a third time, and Jesus goes to his level. He says, Simon, son of Jonah, do you phileo me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you phileo me? Do you love me as a brother? He went down to his level, and he said to him, Lord, you know everything you know that I phileo you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. This is so interesting. I don't know. When you read Peter's life, everything's done in threes. He denies Jesus three times. He falls asleep three times. Jesus restores him three. Like, there's just, con- I don't know, there's repetition needs to happen with Peter and with me and probably a lot of us. But I love this transaction that's happening between Jesus and Peter. Because Peter probably feels the weight of the world. Like, I just betrayed you a few days earlier. I just literally chopped off a guy's ear. I was cursing you. I didn't know you by a fire. I left you when you're being cursed. I wasn't there. I've denied you time and time again, Jesus. And Jesus is like, let me seek you out and let me restore you. And I love that about Jesus, obviously. Though we deny him, though we fail, he's like, let me pursue you. Let me seek you out. Peter, do you love me? And, and this transaction is so interesting because what is Jesus doing? He's restoring Peter back to that place of leadership. He's saying, Peter, feed my sheep, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep, tend my sheep. The word is shepherd, tend is shepherd. Feed my sheep, shepherd my sheep, feed my sheep. And what we see in that is that Jesus was so concerned about his sheep being fed. He's like, you, my sheep need to be fed. They need to be fed the word. They need to be fed the God. They, they need you to shepherd them, Peter. He's restoring him back. Now, here's why I'm bringing this up. I think the greatest responsibility I have or an elder could have in a sense is how do we feed, do we feed our sheep? Do we feed them well? The reason why we try to go through the word and we have verses and we want, it, we want you to be fed well. I remember this. Chuck Smith, who was our pastor back in California, would always say, I want the best loved and best fed sheep. And that always stuck with me. He goes, as you guys go on in life, just make sure you have the best loved and best fed sheep. And I feel like this is, this is it. Summarizing this role, how do you guys feel the best loved and best fed? That's the way I feel. He goes, make sure just you feed them well. Feed my sheep. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed them the word. One author went to say it this way. So good. He said, as an elder, if you do your job, you do your job faithfully, you are praying the word, preaching the word, counseling the word, singing the word, and living the word. That's how you know you've done your job well. You pray it, you preach it, you sing it, you, you just live it out. It's a part of your DNA. It's actually interesting. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, we'll throw the verse up here. It says, Jesus gave some to be apostles, prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. What's interesting in that phrase, pastors and teachers, is the same thing. He, it's not two roles, it's one role. It's the only time he goes, you're a pastor, you're a shepherd, and you're a teacher. It goes hand in hand. The way it describes it is like there's this one article combining both of them together, saying you're a pastor and a teacher. This is your job as a teach. Your job is to feed. This is the weight that we should feel in this way. Now, I got to put this verse up though. Why? Like why? So why are, why are we here just to teach you or feed you the word of God? Just so you can get like really like fattened up for the slaughter? Like no, right? We don't teach the word just so like you can grow and like, oh, I just grew and I sat in my, I grew in my knowledge. Like that is not the point. I love what Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 goes on to say. He gave some to be pastors and teachers. Why? Look at verse 12. We'll put it up here for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Why do we teach? Why is that my main job? My job is to equip you for ministry. This necessarily isn't ministry. This is actually a, a training ground to go do ministry. We have to understand that about the church. It's not like, oh, the deacons, and pa- they, they do the ministry. No, it's to better equip to do ministry. What is the ministry God has given everyone in this room? 
2 Corinthians 5.18 says this is the ministry. Listen, God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Verse 20, now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We beg you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You hear this? Please listen, church. The role of the pastor teacher is equip saints for ministry. Great, that sounds great, but what does that mean? Paul answers this and says, here is ministry. Reconcile the world to God. What is your mandate? What is my mandate? Go and make disciples of all nations. What is our mandate? That the world needs to be reconciled to God. Literally, verse 20 says, as if God were pleading through us to be reconciled to him. That when we talk to people, it's not how do I win the argument or how do I try to like trick them with my kung fu awesome ninja mind. Like how do I actually win them to Jesus? That is if God were pleading through me to them and saying you need to be right with God. One day when you breathe your last breath and you stand before God, you'll, you'll, what, what will you hear? Well done, my good and faithful servant, or I just never knew you. Like the, the whole point for us is we can say to the world, you need to be reconciled to God. God loves you. God's in pursuit of you. God cares for you. How do we better teach you and feed you so you can go out and be a better reconciler to God? Ministry is just trying to say, as Paul said it, this is ministry. Reconcile people to God. Bring people to God. How are we doing, church? We need to be those who are reconciling people to God. We equip the body of Christ for what purpose? Just to be a big body of Christ? No. To bring people who are far from God to God. He goes, this is the ministry. I raise up pastors and elders and teachers and leaders in this way. So yes, we could grow in our faith, but old me so no, more people can be brought into the fold of God. More people can be brought into the flock of God. Would you agree? Amen? This is the ministry we're called to. Now, we're going to go on. What are the qualifications? <laughs> we're just going to read them really quick. You're like, yeah, right, it's a lie, it's a trap. I know. First Timothy chapter 3. Why don't you turn to First Timothy chapter 3. What are the qualifications now? First Timothy 3. And I'm actually just going to read after this Titus 1 to you guys. But First Timothy 3. I'm going to read through this a little slower, give some commentary, but then explain big picture. First uh, Timothy 3 verse 1, it says, This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a episkopos, he desires a good work. A bishop or episkopos, overseer, the word we've talked about, he says then must be blameless. This does not mean sinless. It means when you hear the name, there's no just outright. I can think of like five things that can, it's like there's blameless. He says uh, the husband of one wife. The idea, honestly, is in the early church, you think about people getting saved, and you think about Roman officials who are high up. We know that they were getting saved, according to Philippians. Most of them, many times, have many wives, and they go, well, I want, I'm a leader in, in the Roman government. I want to be a leader in the church. It's, that's a disqualification. It's like, honestly, when you go to Africa today, and maybe the chief gets saved in the village, and he goes, well, I'm the chief of the village. Let me be the chief of the church. It's like, well, you have 16 wives. I'm sorry, that's not allowed. There's the idea that these were some of the things they had to establish early on. The husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle. Not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, not new to the faith, thus being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach in the, same, in the snare of the devil. We'll read Titus 1 now, really quick to you guys, and look at this big picture. Titus chapter 1, verse 5. He says, I left you in Crete that you should set uh, in things the order that are lacking and appoint every elder in the cities that I commanded you. Verse 6. 
If a man, again, is blameless, we see that again, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination, for a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast uh, the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. Why am I reading this, all this? I do want you guys to see the overall picture. There's a lot of similarities between both. Now, let me just say this. This is saying, hey, we're looking for this in an elder. We're looking to this for this to define you. When Mike and I met, actually went through, we went through these one by one, and it's, you, got to, you feel every, all the weight of it when you go through this one by one and talk through it in your day-to-day life. Now, let me just say this, by the way. It's not like this doesn't apply to you. You're like, yes, it, does. it doesn't apply to me. I'm not like, trying to be, no, no, no. All of these commands are actually mentioned elsewhere. Hospitable, not being drunk with wine. Like all of these commands you read are actually mentioned elsewhere, just in general to the body of Christ. It's mentioned to everybody. But the idea is like as an elder, you, you try to look for that package. You try to look as almost more of a complete in some ways. Like it's kind of smooth out some of those rough edges. Here's why I'm saying this. Because sometimes when you read this, you go, well, Luckily, I'm not trying to be an elder, so I guess I can be drunk with wine. I guess I can be quarrelsome because, like, no, that is not the point. Obviously, this still applies to us. Like, well, I don't have to be gentle because that's only for elders, so I can be really mean. Like, no, this still does apply. These are still repeated in the New Testament elsewhere, just in general, but he's just saying, here's what we're looking for. Here's why this is important. Robert Thune, a pastor who writes books about elders, he says, any man who aspires to eldership must give himself to the formation of godly character. Here's the idea. We're saying, do you want to give yourself over to these things? Do you want to grow in these things? That's why we're doing this series, Spiritual Formation. Like, we want to grow in these things. You must give yourself over to them. Let's talk really quick about character, just a few thoughts about character, because this is the main point. Uh, Character is formed over time. Character is discerned in community. Character is best evaluated under pressure. Character and wisdom go together. This is what we see kind of in the big picture. By the way, when we talk about character, and look at this list really quick, he's not saying if you want to be an elder, you got to have this IQ, uh, you got to have these kind of gifts and skills. He's just like, let me just talk about character. This is what we're looking for in this way. And it's formed over time. And it takes other people to evaluate. And you know what? It's, it's going to be those things where you're going to see the, the true character come out under pressure. You're going to see when it's like when, they're, when they get kind of heated up, like what's going to come out at that moment, that time. And so the big picture here is essentially character. Here's why I'm saying this. This old Presbyterian pastor who you read some of his, he's so good. He has some old school sermons that still are like relevant today. His name is Robert Murray McShane. He says this, my people's greatest need is my personal holiness. Let me just say this church really quick. I genuinely believe, and he went on to write about this. I genuinely believe the greatest gift I could leave you or another L or any other leader anywhere is our personal holiness. Probably the hardest thing and the most necessary thing is, am I walking with Jesus? So I love Jesus. Is my marriage good? Is my, am I raising my family after Jesus? Like, is there my holiness? That's like the best thing, not the best teaching in the world, not the best you fill in the blank, but can I offer my personal holiness in a sense? Like, can I, you see, look and say, man, you, I see Jesus in you. You know, uh, one pastor said, listen to this, my, congregna- my congregation needs me to be humble before they need me to be smart. They need me to be honest uh, more than they need me to be a dynamic leader. They need me to be teachable more than they need me to be teach at conferences. If, you, if your walk matches your talk, if your faith costs you something, if being a Christian is more than a cultural garb, then they will listen to you. He's saying it's most important is our character at the end of the day. Let me put it this way. Um, I really do believe God redefined to me success 
in ministry about five years ago. For me, and I'm not gonna get into all the details, I really do believe that at one point in time you viewed success as all these people are getting saved, the church is growing, that all these amazing things are happening, and you're seeing like God move and just miracles like crazy. That was success. For me, honestly, success, I really do believe the Lord is saying, hey, in 30, 40, 50, 60 years, I love my family, they love me, I love Jesus. My kids love Jesus, my grandkids love Jesus, we love each other, we serve each other, we're in the word, we pray, we laugh together. Success in ministry is, I honestly look and say, I, I led my family well, and through that came fruit, through that came I led the church well, through that came love for each other. Not that this necessarily means we're gonna plant a thousand churches and grow to 10,000, that's not the goal. Like, do we want to plant churches? Absolutely. Do we want people to be saved? Absolutely. But let it flow from a place of true intimacy with Jesus. Amen? That is the hope. Ian Bounds said this. It was so good. One more quote. He says, the church is looking for better methods. God is looking for better men. Why is it that the church is looking for better methods? God's like, I'm just looking for better men. Qualified, capable. Like, they're living this out. This is what he's looking for. That's why Paul said, Timothy, don't lay hands on anyone too speedily. That's why we take our time. That's why we pray. That's why you fast. That's why we go through the word. That's why I do this. And here's the last point, guys. Why does this matter? Maybe you're like, okay, but I'm not an elder today. And we're doing it's like, okay, we should know what to look for. Hopefully that heart can be rubbed off to us. Like we can want to become that, yes. But if God established it, we want to carry it out. If God said, raise up every elder in all the cities, that's our hope to do that. We want to do it that way. We want to be as close to the word of God as we can. But here's the main reason. The reason why we're talking about this today is obviously is this. If you haven't understood this yet, the chief elder, the chief overseer, the chief shepherd is Jesus. Literally, he's, the, he's over it all. This is his. Now, here's what I love about this. Jesus portrays himself as a shepherd three different times with three different titles. This is, this is throughout the scriptures. Look at this. John 10, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. In Hebrews 13, he's called the great shepherd. In 1 Peter 5, he's called the chief shepherd. Now listen to how this plays out. The good shepherd dies for the sheep. The great shepherd lives for the sheep. The chief shepherd will come again for the sheep. If you want to read this, Psalm 22 is the shepherd laying down his life. Psalm 23 is the good shepherd who lives for the sheep. Psalm 24 is the glory in the kingdom of God. It is crazy how you see this theme of the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd who laid down his life for you and for me. He is the good shepherd. He's the great shepherd who Hebrews 13 says is living to sanctify us, to make us more like Jesus. He's sanctifying us in this process. And 1 Peter 5, the chief shepherd will appear. The chief shepherd will come again. Jesus is that. He's the good shepherd. He's the great shepherd. He is the chief shepherd. We look to him. I am looking to him saying, Jesus, this is yours. You lead it. You guide it. You govern it. Thank you for laying down your life. Thank you for you being this. Guys, what do sheep need the most? Let me just ask, what do sheep need the most? Do they need water? Do they need, what do they need? Food? What do sheep need the most? Ready? They need a good shepherd. <laughs> sheep, if you have a shepherd, you have everything else. If I have a shepherd, I'll be led to water. If I have a shepherd, he'll lead me to good pastures. If I have a shepherd, I'll be protected. The sheep needed more than anything, a shepherd. And this is what we want to talk about and just end with in, in our Closing discussion is one, I hope you know Jesus as a true shepherd. I hope that you've embraced him as the good shepherd who laid down his life for you. I hope you know Jesus in this way. I pray you come to know Jesus in this way. And lastly, and for us as a church, we want to do this. We want to actually today say, hey, there's another elder that we've been praying with, walking through life with, going through what this means, and we want to today commission and ordain him as an elder, as a pastor in our church. And we want to do what Paul said and raise up other, we pray this happens again and again and again. That God would raise up more elders 
that God raise up more deacons like last week, that we just see this more time and time again. So I'm going to invite Mike up here as we're just going to pray over him. But will Mike Denker come on up? And you guys can uh, just give it up for the Lord. Give it up for Mike as he comes up really quick. So, hey, Mike. You guys know Mike. Um, really quick, let me just share about Mike with you guys. Uh, Mike has led a group for us for a while now. I know Mike has met with many of our men, poured into them, poured into marriages, families. We've had many good talks where I know it's shaped and poured into me, and um, he's naturally had that heart of a shepherd. Obviously, up here, praying with you guys, available to you guys. He has, you know, his own work and life and job, and he still gives so much time to this, this church. And it's very humbling. And it's very encouraging. And here's what we want to do. We want to honor that and acknowledge that. My hope is that this can be a little bit um, different than last week. We do something where Mike signed this, and the deacon, but we want to have like an elder covenant where in a sense he says, here's my vow to you. I want to live in this way and walk in this way. And church, I really want to do this with you guys too. This is like both ways. Uh, Hebrews 13, 7 says this to you. Listen to this, church. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. There's a side of this where the Bible writes to you and to leaders and elders and shepherds. And I, I think there's this mutual covenant that needs to take place. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read a few questions to the church to you. If this is your home church, if you view this as your church, your place of fellowship, I'm going to ask you a question, respond with we do. I'm going to ask you three questions, three times you answer we do. I'm going to then ask him some questions and he's going to answer with I do. And here's what I want to do. We want this in a sense be a reflection of that covenantal language that God constantly uses for us. So church, this is for you. Do you accept, do you, sorry, church, do you regard Mike Denker as biblically qualified for the office of elder? Your response? Church, do you accept him as your spiritual shepherd, one charged with leading the church and guarding its doctrine? Do you promise to encourage Mike and support him in the performance of his office? Mike, by God's grace, do you covenant today to fulfill the character qualifications of an elder that we found in 1 Timothy 3? Will you strive to live a holy, Jesus-centered life, to live above reproach? Will you live in community with believers, loving, serving, and being accountable one to another? Will you seek to live a missional life, actively proclaiming Jesus? Will you live humbly toward all and honor others as they follow Christ? Will you speak life, avoid gospel, honor Jesus, your church, your neighbor, and those opposed to the gospel with your speech? Will you faithfully carry out the role of an elder and shepherd Jesus' church he commands? Will you honor God with the fruit of your labor, giving generously and sacrificially back to the Lord? And lastly, by God's grace, will you make it your chief aim to glorify God and enjoy him forever and to seek his face and his presence uh, in your day-to-day life? <laughs> That's why I said by God's grace. <laughs> Mike, as Peter said, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as an overseer, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being an example to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Mike, we pray this will be for you and define you. We guys just reach your hands. We pray for Mike. Father, I just thank you for this moment, for this time to acknowledge first and foremost that you are the chief shepherd, that this is your church, your people. God, I thank you for Mike. I thank you for the father heart he's had for, for so many of us. God, I thank you for the time and energy he's poured into so many. I pray that you just increase that. Be with his family. 
God, be with his wife, his kids. Let them, Jesus, truly know and see this heart. Let them just experience it, walk it, walk it out themselves with him. Lord, I just ask that you'd empower him, fill him with your spirit. Let this just be something, God, where the enemy wants to come in, the enemy wants to kind of tear down, bring frustration, but Jesus, we so believe you've called and anointed this man to lead and shepherd this local church and to be an elder in our community. So God, bless him, fill him, God, use him. We thank you, Jesus. We praise you now in your wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Guys, we just want to do this. We want to close our time by worshiping and by remembering ultimately our chief shepherd, the one who laid down his life for us, the one who is so good, he says, I'm going to lay down my life for my sheep. We want this to be a time where we can just remember and celebrate him. Amen. Why don't you guys stand and let's just close our time with, with some worship.